todo el mundo. Pero eso fue realmente... Welcome to the Rock and Roll Nightmares podcast. I'm your host, Stacey Lane Wilson, author of the Rock and Roll Nightmares book series and director of the documentary, The Ventures, Stars on Guitars. This is your destination for all things rock, where the interviewees include musicians, authors, historians, filmmakers, and more. And now, on to the show. My guest today is Rob Ruckus, a Las Vegas punk legend who's done everything from co-host a TV show, Bad Inc., to create a line of clothing, Hardcore Las Vegas, run events and tours at the Punk Rock Museum, and of course, he's played in several bands. He's a bassist, and most notably with The Vermin. I met Rob on my birthday a few months back when I was at the Punk Rock Museum, and once we started talking, I knew he'd be a great guest for the Rock and Roll Nightmares podcast. So let's get him on the line. Hi, Rob. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thanks for having me. Well, I'd love to start with the Punk Rock Museum. Um, That's where we met, and um, that's... You know, Las Vegas has some of the best non-traditional museums in the country, including the Mob Museum and the Burlesque Museum. And now we've got punk rock. So how did that come about? Um, Well, a few years ago, Fat Mike from NoFX had the idea to uh, start a store in Las Vegas. And this is kind of right right as COVID uh, was getting started. Uh And since all the bands weren't touring everybody was stuck at home everybody was going through their basements and their studios and the garages and finding all this cool stuff that they've had for years and uh when they started you know kind of putting out the idea that they were going to do this store everybody's like well i've got this cool thing you can hang in there i've got this other cool thing and it just became well forget about the store let's just make an entire museum out of it and uh, Mike went and bought the building and put out the word. And ever since then, stuff's been, stuff c- keeps coming in there every single day. That's brilliant. Yeah, it is so well curated. Um, I enjoyed the fact that it's broken up not only chronologically, but by subject and geographically. Um, so you said that the artifacts came from people who had a lot of time on their hands um, due <laughs> to the pandemic. But um, where did <laughs> other ones come from and 
did the exhibits change? I mean, you said new things keep coming in, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Stuff changes in that place every single day. Wow. Um, we get we get stuff um, from the bands themselves, especially now where we, we've just been open for six months. We opened on April Fool's Day. That's so we've, we're, we're <laughs> <laughs> kind of apropos. But uh, we've been open for six months now, as of a couple of days ago. So, you know, the more people that have come through and done videos and taken pictures and, you know, a lot of people are finding out that it is so well curated. It is, it is so well taken care of. It is, there's a lot of love put into what we're doing. You know, the people that are doing this are all people that are from the music scene. We've all lived this for the past 40 years so we do put a lot of love and care into it, um, you know, trying to represent everybody we possibly can. But the stuff itself, you know, is literally coming from the band members themselves now that they're seeing these videos and being like, well, I want my band in there, too. We asked you a year ago, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is but, stuff that, yeah, that has never really been seen before because people ever have been, been storing it in their homes. So that yeah. makes it extra special, too. Yeah, like, you know, the upstairs, we have the Ricky Ercole exhibit right now. You know, he's shot all these photographs back in Philly, back in, you know, the late 70s, early 80s. And he was just a street kid. You know, he was he was just a poor, a poor kid that wanted to go see these bands. So, like, there's a really great picture of, of Sid Vicious from the Sex Pistols in there. Well, Ricky had told us when, when he came in, this is the first time these pictures have been blown up and shown in an exhibit ever and like that that show with that Sid Vicious show that he went and shot he told us he could only afford one roll of film that night so he had 24 chances and 24 chances only <laughs> to get that prop that perfect shot and he did get it but you know it, it, it was just it's it's so amazing seeing the emotion coming out of people you know when he saw his pictures up on the walls that big for the first time he started crying you know because wow. it was a it was a very emotional moment it's a very emotional place you know a lot of people will walk through there and see exhibit you know see some of the artifacts and be like i was friends with him you know now that guy's gone you know or you know, I met my wife at that show or, you know, <laughs> there's so much emotions that are tied into these artifacts, not just for the musicians themselves, but for the people that got to enjoy the bands, too. That's right. And that, I think, is what sets it apart from a regular museum where a lot of the exhibits are you know hundreds of years old you have really no personal connection to exactly, that kind yeah. of history. So this is what makes it more heartfelt yeah and even you know up up to the fact that you know we start with you know the the earliest of the scene with the mc5 and the stooges and the new york dolls but we also have brand new bands you know from today you know that are still playing right now that are kids doorways in to this music scene and this way of life and way of treating people and what you buy and what you support, you know, uh, it, it all goes into this. So like a lot of the bands that are in the upstairs area, that's our 2000s, you know, and up area. I don't know a lot of these bands, to be completely honest. You know, I look at them and I'm like, that's not my punk rock. My punk rock was a dangerous thing. You know, it's late 70s, early 80s. It was it was a dangerous thing to have a blue mohawk or a skinhead or wear a leather jacket with spikes and 
anti-government stuff written on it because it, it, it was going to make people mad. You were basically putting a target on yourself. But, you know, nowadays, grandma's got blue hair. But, you know, we, we kind of changed culture. You know, seeing someone with different colored hair now is not is not a shocking thing anymore. That's true. You know, everybody, you know, their people are dying their kids' hair now. <laughs> <laughs> and their dogs. <laughs> and their dogs. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, we somewhat changed culture, you know, which is a great thing to see. You know, because, you know, I mean, getting down to it, a lot of us died doing this stuff. I mean, I, I know as a kid growing up here in Las Vegas, I got beat up a whole bunch of times for the way I looked. You know, I went to jail for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. You know? And that I think that's really shown um, to great effect in the museum. And I also want to talk a little bit about something else that's very unusual about the museum is that you have kind of rotating celebrities guided tours which is different too um how did that come about well i mean the best way and i think it's the greatest way to go through that place is with a tour whether it's me or whether it's one of the you know one of the heavy hitters you know we have we've had monkey from the attics in there we've had cj ramon come through there we've had east bay ray from the dead kennedys fat mike from no effects is constantly doing tours i do one every wednesday a couple of the other local guys do some too, but by local, I mean people that work at the museum. So Morat, one of the guys that works there, he grew up in England. So when you do his tour, you're mostly going to hear about the English scene and his, his story growing up over there. And when he moved to the United States, when you do my tour, it's mostly going to be about when these bands came to Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. Uh, East Bay Ray from the Dead Kennedys is going to tell you a little bit more about San Francisco and the really early days when the Dead Kennedys were out there touring. So it's like we all kind of have the same story. We were misfits. Nobody liked the music we were playing. We weren't doing this for money. We were doing this because we had to. But the little tentacles that come off of the story are different for each person. You know, when Alice Bag came through last week, she she's a, a Latina. She is very into the Latin, the Latin music scene and especially punk rockers in the Latin, you know, Latin music scene. So when she walked through the museum, she walked through the proto-punk section and she's like, well, there's nothing on here about the band Los Psychos. So she brought out a, a eight by 10 picture of them and just taped it to the glass <laughs> and started telling about, you know, in 1965, there was a band down in Mexico that was playing this aggressive guitar heavy protest music. So it was kind of a precursor to punk rock. When she got into the Los Angeles section, you know, we have social distortion, we have the germs, we have black flag, but there was nothing about the plugs in there. Who was you know that was another latin band so she pulled out an eight by ten of them stuck a picture up on the wall and starts telling stories about them so every different tour guide is going to have a different way of telling almost the same story i like that and, <laughs> yeah that's really neat i'm gonna have to come back for sure yeah well um the punk rock museum has another cool and unusual feature and that's the jam room and i love the idea of having a hands-on exhibit can you tell our audience about how that works that's also upstairs right with the more modern. oh yeah. yeah 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 that's a that's the, that's in the upstairs and that's kind of my home that's where i live it's up in the gym <laughs> i take care of all, all the all the guitars and the amps up there um 
so yes, we have a room up there where you can literally come in and it's all stage used and abused equipment from the actual band members themselves. Um, so we have Tim Armstrong's first guitar he ever used in Rancid. It was used on the first couple albums by Rancid. Um, you can actually come in there and pick it up and play it if you're left-handed. We have one of Joan Jett's guitars in there. We have Mike Roach from TSOL. We have Norwood from Fishbone. Mike Herrera from MXPX. We have one of Fat Mike Spaces in there. We have some new bands. We have the Venomous Pinks. Uh, we have the story so far. We have Chet Lair's entire setup from the Reagan's Inn album by Wasted Youth. Now, that was one of my favorite records growing up as a kid. I bought that in 1983. To be able to plug his guitar into his amp, and that that particular amp he got from uh, uh, Greg Ginn from Black Flag. So Black Flag used it on their first 45 wasted youth used it on their first album and you could plug his guitar into it and he played the same guitar as as greg ginn did they're called dan electros they were the clear see-through guitars uh-huh. and and you could plug that guitar into that particular amp and it has that exact sound of the first black flag 45 and the, and the first wasted youth album it's just absolutely amazing we have fletcher's entire setup from the first pennywise album and their first couple tours we have uh, Wesley Willis's keyboard in there. You know, Wesley Willis was uh, from Chicago. He was a very large black man with, uh, he was uh, on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, he had, he had, you know, he was paranoid schizophrenic. He had, he had a lot of, a lot of problems, but the entire punk scene embraced him because he believed what he was doing he was 100 into it he would just show up at shows with his keyboard and say i need to play and we they would let him play and he ended up uh, signing a record deal with jello biafra's alternative tentacles record label he toured all over the country i got to meet him when he was out here in las vegas so it's funny when people come in that jam room and i say i have tim armstrong's guitar i have joan jett's guitar i have fat mike's guitar i have the wesley willis keyboard wow that (laughs) always gets the most the you know the most wows out of everybody because it's the last thing you expect and that's the the other you know that's what we like to get too is we like that wow factor we like that you know i did not expect this we we do that as often as possible and the other great thing about the jam room up there is you never know who's going to be in there playing so mm-hmm. i've got to i got to play with cj ramon you know 40 years ago when i started playing bass it was to the ramones records you know, I turned the speaker yeah. to the you know, to the right and I could play along with Didi Ramon. And I that's where I learned rhythm. That's literally how I learned rhythm. And then 40 years later, CJ Ramon's there and asks everybody on his tour, hey, does anybody play guitar? Nobody did. So I'm like, I got you. <laughs> yeah, nice. And I got to play with CJ Ramon, Alice Bag from, you know, when she was there a couple weeks ago, she asked me, she's like, hey, learn Babylonian Gorgon tonight. When you come in tomorrow, I'll sing it and you can play it for everybody. So I got, I got to play with Alice Bag. Um, last week, Fat Mike calls me at like 530 at night and goes, hey, Lucky from the Circle Jerks is in the building right now learn three circle jerk songs i'm on my way we're gonna jam with him oh, in the wow. Penny White room. and and we did and it was one of the greatest moments of my life because again 
40 years ago as a kid growing up watching the movie Decline of Western Civilization, which was mm. a documentary about the early punk rock scene in Los Angeles. Lucky was the standout drummer on that entire movie because he came from jazz and then he found punk rock. He was an accomplished jazz drummer before punk rock happened. You know, so when he came into punk rock, he was the greatest punk rock drummer in the world. He flails his arms around everywhere, makes these funny faces, and he still does it. You know, so to be able to do that was just such an amazing experience. We had Fred Armisen from Saturday Night Live in Portlandia came and did tours in there. And then we ended up jamming in, in the little jam room, too. It was, it was fantastic. Yeah, I love his uh, stand up for drummers, which is a really oh, yeah. So much fun. He's such a great guy, but he he would stay up there. And then like Luigi from Suicidal Tendencies, the bass player from Suicidal Tendencies, when he's not doing his tours, he's up in that jam room just playing with anybody. If anybody knows the Suicidal song or any of his other bands, he will sit there and jam with you for for hours. That's what he does. You know, it's 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 a. I've seen kids, you know, kids going in there and like pick up Fat Mike's bass, and they're trying to play Brohem by Pennywise. Well, he's doing it in the wrong key. Fletcher from Pennywise walks in the room and goes, hey, you're not doing that right. Let me show you. And I plugged in his guitar. He sat down and played with the kid, you know, for a good 20 minutes, showed him how to do the song properly. And it was like a 10-year-old kid. His eyes were bugging out of his head. That is an experience he will never, ever forget in his life. So it's 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 a magical place. I'll... I'll tell you the 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 absolute most magical story about being up there. We had I was I was sitting up there in the jam room one day. And it was a kind of a slow day, so I was up there by myself. And this beautiful little eight year old girl comes, and she's standing at the doorway, and she's staring at Tim Armstrong's pink Hagstrom guitar, that rancid guitar I was telling you about. Mm -hmm. um, she's just staring at it, and she's kind of like stammering like you know her feet are moving back and forth and she's just like she's she's being all wiggly and um, and then she's staring at it so i'm like hey come in come in come in and she walks in i sit her down in the chair and i hand her the guitar right-handed she mm -hmm. flips it over left-handed hmm. like instinctually mm -hmm. which i thought was pretty special and i'm like oh my god and we had been open for a month it's a left-handed guitar no not many people play left-handed so Nobody had played that guitar yet. You know, people had picked it up and taken pictures with it, but nobody had actually put hands on the neck and touched the strings, you know, and bang the strings. So that's what this little girl does. She puts her hands on the neck and she starts banging on the strings. And then she starts single picking the strings. Then she's doing every other string, every third string. I'm kind of literally watching this little girl figure out music. Wow. And it was it was a special moment. I took a picture of her and sent it to Fat Mike and we sent it to Tim Armstrong from Rancid, you know, like here's the first person to play it. And everybody thought it was the most beautiful thing. So dad ends up, you know, he's standing by the doorway and he ends up grabbing her after a little while and they take off. So three months later, dad comes back and he's like, I need to speak to Fat Mike and Ruckus. And they're like, well, if Mike's doing a tour. When he ends at the jam room upstairs, you can meet him and Ruckus up there together. So he comes up, and as soon as the tour is over, he's like, hey, I need to speak to you two. Do you remember that little girl that came in here and played this guitar? And I was like, yeah, Mike, I sent you a picture. You remember? He's like, oh, my God, yeah, it was the greatest thing. I've still got the picture on my phone. He goes, okay, well, listen, my daughter's autistic. 
the fact that she walked in this room when Ruckus beckoned her in on her own and didn't run away is amazing. She's, she, you know, she's been she's been a closed shell. She doesn't come out of her shell very often. She doesn't like talking to people. She doesn't she doesn't interact with many people. Um, that's you know because of the way she is. But after that day, they got home. She kept saying guitar, 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 guitar. Dad had to go out and buy her an acoustic guitar. She wouldn't touch it. She kept saying, no, pink, no, pink, no, pink. He ended up having to take it out back and he painted it pink, just like <laughs> the one that's in there. So now it's a pink acoustic looking guitar, just like the one hanging on the wall. She won't let go of it now. That That is her security blanket. She takes it with her everywhere she goes. He's like, we were watching, we we're sitting there watching TV the other day and she's holding it. And all of a sudden the commercial comes on. She starts playing along with it. Nation, my design. Ding, 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 ding. He's like, she's not in time with it, but she's not missing the note. She's hitting the exact note. Like she, she's using a part of her brain that we can't. And she knows instinctively where that sound is on that board now. And he's like, since that day, she has just blossomed. We go to the grocery store and I'm pushing her around in the cart and she's just telling everybody, waving at everybody, saying, I play guitar, I play guitar. <laughs> hi, hi, I play guitar. He's like, you guys have totally opened this this flower and thank you. And both me and Fat Mike are sitting there like, yeah, yeah, man, that's what, that's what we do up here, bro. Yeah, I mean, of course, we're punk rock. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, we're both bawling right you know <laughs> it was just such an amazing thing so it that that museum is a very very special place it is you know, it's not just that. for it's not just for punk rockers it's not just for people that are into the music you know it's it's for everybody i think it's going to be there for a very long time and you've got so many aspects to it you do have the gift shop which is good you also have a, a bar which is adjacent to the museum it's it's i think it's just below the yeah. upstairs right so yeah, yeah, tell yeah. us a little bit about how that because that's unusual to have a bar oh, in a museum oh, oh, we've got a whole, well we've got that we have a tattoo shop upstairs that's right. too. Yes. we have an entire an entire tattoo shop and flash from a lot of the a lot of the great punk rock bands over the years so all the flash on the walls kind of represents band songs and album titles and stuff like that um across from the tattoo shop there's a um wedding chapel and right now we're using it as an art gallery we had the b52s come down um last month and they put up an exhibit um, that they had done with the Save the Chimps Foundation. So they had done a bunch of paintings, literally like the B-52s would do, the would paint the background of the canvas to match one of their album covers. So like, you know, the first album that was that yellow background. So say Fred from the B-52s would paint the, the yellow background on the painting and then they would give the chimpanzees paints and brushes and let them paint over it. And then the guys or the girls and guys from the B-52s signed the bottom of it. And then we had a 
auction and they raised a bunch of money to give back to the Save the Chimps Foundation. So once that happened, we're like, wow, this room is is a cool art gallery too. So right now we have uh, uh, Mark DeSalvo's set up in there, which he's done album covers for damn near everybody on Fat Records for Lagwagon, for No Effects, for Fat Mike solo albums. Uh, there's an adolescence album cover up there, but they're the original paintings that he did. So all those original paintings are hanging up in there right now. Um, so it's also, you know, wedding chapel slash art gallery. Downstairs, we have the bar, the triple down. So it's kind of based on uh, the triple rock, which is uh, the, the bar that the band Dillinger 4 had. And um, a lot of, you know, no effects wrote songs about it. and Everybody played there over the years. And Fat Mike had partnered up with the owner of the Double Down Saloon out here in Las Vegas. And they kind of made a, a, a triple down. You know, they did triple rock and double down and mixed them together, made a triple down. It's, it's part of the museum experience during the day, but mm -hmm. uh, from 7 p.m. till 2 a.m., it's completely open to the public. Really, it's decorated in such a way that it's um, very punk rock. I love it. That was that was Fletcher from Pennywise. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, yeah. Being as that we are a museum, there's all kinds of rules that we have to abide by. You know, okay. we keep it. We keep the you know museum at a certain temperature. We try to keep we keep the humidity at a certain level. We don't use, you know, spray paint throughout the place. But, you know, once the bar needed to be taken care of, Fletcher didn't give a shit. He came in and just did whatever he did, what Fletcher does. And he painted the place up. He put the flyers up. So pretty much that that entire bar was done by Fletcher. Yeah, it's impressive. And then now some of the curators have been coming in and putting in uh, artifacts inside the bar too, like rat scabies from the damned uh, recently sent us uh, a, uh, a cigar box guitar that he made. That's hanging up in there. We have. Uh... So, yeah, I want to go back a bit into your history in the punk rock scene and las vegas and right on. i mean it's kind of known as sort of a transient town a lot of people move here from other places so people that have lived here for more than a few years is kind of rare but you've been here as you said for at least 40 years what is mm -hmm. the what is it about las vegas that you love especially um, from music kind of standpoint well well, I moved out here in 1979 um, from, from Los Angeles, from Long Beach, actually. I've tried to leave here a few times. You know, <laughs> I, I, I moved up to Portland for a year. I, I lived in San Francisco for a little bit. You know, I, I, I've tried to get out of here, but this place just always calls me back. I, I love it here. It's, it's for, especially before, you know, it was, a, it was a very small town. There is a family type community here. And that's kind of, you know, even with punk rock, you know, a lot of us were searching out a, our, our community, our family, our people. And since Las Vegas was such a small place growing up, there was that, that community, you know, there was, in the early punk rock scene out here, you know, there was, you know, a good three, four hundred of us that were together every single week, every single weekend, you know, both Friday, Saturday, sometimes Sundays, sometimes during the week, you know, especially summer vacations. You know, we'd be together damn near every single day if we, you know, if there wasn't a show, we would just go take over Bob Baskin Park, you know, and we'd just go sit out there and drink and smoke and tell stories and try to make out, you know, behind the bushes. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it's a small, it's a small community. 
And I, I think that, you know, it is a transient town. So we do get people that come in and out of here. But those of us that have stayed here are very protective of each other. And then the music scene, this it's such, it's so close to LA, you know, yes. so any, everybody came here. It was, you know, it's a three and a half hour drive from LA. If you're playing San Diego, LA, you come hit Vegas, you go hit Arizona, you go back to the coast, you go hit San Francisco and you're on your way up. You know, it just, it made sense, you know, so everybody came through here. So we, uh, that, that is one of the problems though. A lot of the Vegas bands didn't tour. We just stayed here and waited for GBH or the Misfits or the Ramones or TSOL or Agent Orange or whoever to come play here because they always did. Right. <laughs> yeah, that makes so, sense. Yeah, so, I had mentioned um, in the introduction about your band, The Vermin, and that, you know, I know that you had said in another interview that you guys didn't really tour, and that's why. But yeah. the band lasted for so long. Um, tell me a little bit about how, oh, that, yeah, how it started it. and what the longevity to what do you attribute that? It's like that with a lot of these Vegas bands, you know, I mean, same with, uh, you know, well, the Vermin, Vermin, I, uh, I started playing with in what, 1994, 1993, 1994, when I moved back from Portland, we started up and, and we kind of, you know, we were a, a comedy band, you know, I mean, we played songs, we, I mean, we made a whole bunch of albums over the, over the 20 years that we were doing it. We were more of a comedy act. Like we even start when we started, we were playing at this place called the wet stop. We would get up, we would play a 40 minute set. We'd stop when South Park started, put South Park on the TVs. We'd all watch that. And then we'd go back and play another 45 hour long set. Uh (laughs) But you know, there were times where we would go, you know, there was one time I remember we, we actually went 25 minutes in between songs, just talking shit to the audience. <laughs> you yeah, know, we, we would, you know, we would make fun of them. They would make fun of us. We'd make fun of the bands playing before us, the bands playing after us, the, <laughs> the mm-hmm. bands that were playing somewhere else, you know, the president, anything. Nothing was off limits. We were, you know, it was like going to see Don Rickles and a punk rock band at the same time. Wow, like a horrible <laughs> jam session. Exactly, jam session. But it was a it was a comedy session with some jamming. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that that's the other part of Las Vegas is a lot of us that grew up out here, our parents played on the strip back in the old days. You know, I mean back back in the day. You know, I mean every casino on Las Vegas Boulevard had a showroom and there was a live band playing in there constantly. Mm-hmm. And more than likely, one of our parents, you know, a lot of our parents worked in those casinos. And, and you know, like Pablo, my, my guitar player in the souvenirs right now, his dad played in every casino up and down the strip. The guys from Samson's Army, um, their dad was Artie Tyke, who was the piano player for Louis Prima and, uh, and Sam Butera, you know, so like they grew up with this and that i think that's what made the vegas bands a little different too is a lot of us grew up with accomplished musician families and entertainment you know it's like don't just go out there and play a song go out there and entertain you know move around tell jokes before and after you know we you had to put on a show and the vegas bands were kind of like that and i i think that's because of where we grew up and 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 because of you know 
you know, like me, my parents weren't musicians, but the other guys in my band, theirs, theirs were, and I picked stuff up from that. So I, th- I think that made this town a little different too. And that's another wonderful thing about this place. Um, and that, and like I said, we're a small community. Bands like FSP, they've been doing this for 40 years. Um, Self Abuse, um, who I, I also play with, we just put out a new album a couple months ago. Um, that band started in 1982. Mm-hmm. And it's it's still happening. So, you know, uh, none of us have stopped doing, you know, we never stopped. <laughs> you know, because that's our getaway. You know, when, you know, Anthony's got, you know, the drummer uh, in self-abuse, he's got family, you know, he's got kids. He wants to get away every now and again and just go hang out with the boys and have a beer and play some music with his friends. And so we don't stop doing this. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's a good point. It's something we need to keep us sane. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, when I first met you at the museum, you told me a really interesting story, I thought, which was removed from the strip. And that was about live shows that were put on in the middle of the desert late at night. Um, yeah. me, what is that? Oh, well, why was that? So, so back in, back in the, you know, in the early eighties in Las Vegas, the strip and Fremont street and all those places were still owned by the mafia. You know, it's, it's back when the mob still ran Vegas, they were, Uh they were here until probably the late eighties, early nineties. And, you know, that's when they became the politicians instead of the the casino owners and runners (laughs) and and the guys that took care of the cops. (laughs) So it was a, it was, we were, we, you know, just like the LA punks couldn't go to Disneyland. We couldn't go to the, to Fremont street or the strip. They didn't want us down there. They would chase us out. And you know, a lot of times we'd get hurt being chased out. So we, and, and then the cops would show up to every warehouse show, or if we rented a VFW, the cops would show up and break it up every time. So we ended up just going out to the middle of the desert. We would literally drive two miles out Losey road at the time. There was no houses out there. You know, it was all just desert. There was nothing out there. And we would go basically steal the, steal the uh, generator from a construction site, take a couple halogen lights, um, a big piece of carpet and bands from all over the world played out in the desert. And we did it for years. We had three different locations where we, where we did them, actually. Ann Road, Losey Road, and Pabco Road. Huh, that's brilliant. <laughs> so, so bands like um, The Offspring, No Effects, uh, Rob Zombie when he was in White Zombie. Uh, God, bands from all over the world played their first shows ever in Las, in Las Vegas out in the desert. You know, there, <laughs> I did not know would, that. That's really interesting. Would, there would be, you know, four or 500 kids out in the middle of the desert, you know, and there's no security. There's no corporate sponsorship. There's no barriers. If you want to go up and hug the guitar player while he's playing, you go do that. If you want to shoot bottle rockets at a band, you go do that. If the band was terrible and started saying some racist stuff or something homophobic stuff that we didn't like, we'd throw rocks at them. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. But, you know, um, I remember a band from uh, Mexico came down once called Synod. And while they were on tour, they would stop at every Winchell's Donuts and grab all the Dale Donuts. So they had 
garbage bags full of donuts that they would tour around with. And when they came out here, they started hucking donuts at us. Oh, wow. That's <laughs> but different. it was great. You know, it was Yeah, wonderful. well. <laughs> <laughs> Little kids Edible love donuts. ammunition. Yeah, we love donuts and, and, and terrible beer. <laughs> it's the perfect thing for 16 year old kids absolutely yeah it doesn't get any better than that yeah but yeah it was it was an amazing time and you know a lot of most of the people that were at those shows we're, we're still friends we're still family we still we still get together you know next month in november there's going to be the las vegas punk rock reunion and all all the bands that are you know that are still around are going to play and you know, every year it's different bands. So you know, we're all we're all still doing this. Yeah, <laughs> we well, never knew when to say stop. <laughs> well, you never should. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, you've done so many different things, um, and I guess you just love to try different professions. And one of the things that I liked about learning about you was the fact that you and your bandmate. Dirk hosted a show called Bad Ink, <laughs> which is yeah. it's still streaming. It's funny now. What was that experience like? Do you still get people coming up to you and recognizing you from that show? Oh yeah, constantly, constantly. Yeah, it was it was kind of a big deal. I mean, it was ten years ago. It was ten I years know, ago I that that happened. It when I looked it up, and I watched a couple episodes. Right on. Yeah. Yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. You know, I had an absolute great time with it because, you know, I mean, what did I have to lose? I'm just, I, I'm, I'm not a tattoo artist. You know, I'm just the funny guy on the show. They brought me in just to be the funny guy. Um, originally, they got the, they got Dirk for the show because he is an amazing, talented tattoo artist. That's why they came to him because, you know, before, you know, before the show, I mean, he, he, even after, I mean, even to this day, the guy is a, an amazing talent. So, when they started doing the show, I just went down there to go watch, you know, they're, you know, Dirk's like, Hey, I'm, I'm doing this TV show. We're going to film it. You know, we're filming the sizzle reel. We'll come down and check it out. So I just went to go down and watch, but we have such the rapport from being in the band for so long together for uh -huh. 20 years, basically at that time that while he's filming, we're just shooting shooting one-liners back and forth to each other and cracking up the whole you know the whole uh, crew that's filming it and then finally they're like okay we need this dude too you know and that's when they brought me in to kind of soften soften things up make things a little more funny instead of being just a serious tattoo show i mean do you have anything definitely. new coming up musically or what's the what's next on the ruckus agenda um, right now currently i'm playing with a band called the souvenirs which is uh, me and Pablo Schwartz, who was in uh, the old punk rock band MIA, and then um, a bunch of other of my friends here in town that I've been playing with for years also. And we're doing like old 30s, 40s, 50s uh, jazz music. So oh, a, wow. lot of Cab, a, a lot of Cab Calloway, a lot of Cab Calloway, a lot of Louis Jordan, Louis Prima, Louis Armstrong, all the Louis, <laughs> right. <from> Sinatra. <laughs> <laughs> and uh and we play at the mob museum a lot downtown oh okay um you know literally four hour sets a night you know and it, it's just it's a blast and and punk rock helped me do that had i not played punk rock for 30 years learning that quick quick crazy moving walking bass jazz stuff 
man, that stuff's faster than most of the punk bands I know. That stuff's crazy. Wow, that's cool. <laughs> so I like that. It that's was, a different take. Yeah, it was really cool to do that. And then um, I'm also doing a band called The Shakewells. Um, which is all original. Um, we're kind of more in the vein of like 60s garage. So more like uh, the Sonics, Standells, you know, more of the Farfisa and Fuzz, Fuzz guitar. And we just put out a new album called Who the Hell Are the Shakewells? Um, we just did a 45 with Outro Records out of California. And we're going in Sunday to go record um, four songs for uh, a label over in France, too. That's going to put out another single for us. Like, so the Shake Wells. Yeah, definitely keep it busy. And then, like I said, we just recorded a, a new self-abuse album um, a couple months ago called King of Men. <laughs> okay. Well, we, we're winding down, and this is my standard exit question for the Rock and Roll Nightmares podcast to ask, what is your own personal rock and roll nightmare? My own personal rock and roll nightmare? That it's all going to stop. That, <laughs> that this, this wonderful ride that I've been on for 40 years will someday end. That's my nightmare. You know, I am literally, you know, I'm I'm... I'm the happiest I've been in my life right now, you know, getting to, you know, just talk music and play music with people all day, tune up famous guitars and, you know, get to play music for people all over the world. I'm just, I'm, I'm so happy, you know, with, with the way life is for me right now that my nightmare is that it's all going to come crashing down and, I can't play or talk about music anymore. <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen. Um, I certainly hope not. But no, not, it well, scares me sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know people can find you at the museum, but uh, as far as online, where's the best place to find and follow you? Um, you can find me on the. I'm on all the all the things, all the Instagram or the Instagrams and the Facebooks. Um, you can find me under Rob Ruckus. And then I also have a little t-shirt shop that I do on Etsy um, where I have my records and, and CDs from the bands I play with now also. Oh, good. And that's that Hardcore Las Vegas. Um, if you go on Etsy and just look up Hardcore Las Vegas, you'll, you'll find me. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for being on the show. It was great to learn more about the museum and the Las Vegas punk rock scene. Thank you so very much. And keep making them documentaries. I love it. <laughs> Will do. Thank you. This concludes another episode of the Rock and Roll Nightmares podcast. Remember, there's a book series, too. All the books are available in paperback, ebook, and audio via Amazon or the Rock and Roll Nightmares website. That's R-O-C-K-N dash r-o-l-l dash nightmares.com our official theme song is she's out for blood by fuzzbuster founded by lars cabot thank you for listening <laughs>